you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them off into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, uh, for as the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Their eyes, sorry, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts turned in greed, trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baal, who lived, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs, mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly... They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise their freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, 
and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it turned back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the, what the true proverb said has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, and good morning again. And um, big passage. Um, welcome to church. Um, it's confronting stuff this morning. Um, hey, before I start, just a couple of things. Uh, yeah, as, as Sam mentioned, yeah, newcomers lunch. I love to. If you're newish, love to. Sarah and I love to have you around. Um, so feel free to to come along, uh, chat to us, or chat to the guys at the info desk for more info there. Secondly, here's some uh, here's some levity before the, the gravity we're going to look at this morning. Um, hey, exciting news! Church is growing. Uh, two babies born recently. Uh, I think we've got pictures of uh, baby Cove Blake Campbell. Exciting. Awesome. Um, hey, this, this praise God, uh, born, I think, five weeks early, was in NICU for a bit, but out of NICU, back at home, which is good news. Uh, secondly, uh, just last week, uh, Bowie, Benjamin, Hagamai, Tegan and Brad's little bub. Uh, praise God. Amazing. Amazing. Exciting news. The baby boom continues. Um, hey, uh, today, is, uh, today is also um, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Uh, so I'm going to be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. I'm going to pray for us as well as we encounter God through his word this morning. So join with me as we pray. Our Lord, we praise you for the gift of life. We praise you for, for Cove and for Bowie. Be with them and, and their families during these tender weeks. But Lord, I do pray that these boys would always know you as Lord and as Savior. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as in heaven. I pray that you might embolden our faithful brothers and sisters around the world who continue to proclaim the good news of your kingdom in the face of opposition. I know that no power on earth can stand against the coming of your kingdom in power. Even if violence should come, let those faithful preachers stand firm and let them be a reminder to us standing in union with them to preach your gospel. Lord, we pray for us now. We pray that you would speak now through your word. Would you change us, bend us, break us even, shape us to be more like Christ. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Question for you guys. Who is the most dangerous person in the room this morning? Who's the most dangerous person in the room this morning? Is it... Is it Hot Rod before the foundations of this church? Is it him? Maybe. Could be. Could be. Is it, um, you know, is it that person uh, that's going to have their phone go off and they kind of annoyingly sort of have that, that panic moment where they're fumbling and they kind of can't figure out how to put it on silent? Is it the person next to you that might have gastro or COVID? <laughs> is, it, is, it the, uh, is it the cinema manager who, cinema manager who at... Um, you know, at any point could, could decide to, you know, with the right to, to kind of kick off patrons off the premises. Is it that person? The most dangerous person in the room right now is, it's me. Why? Me. Why? Is that not because of me, Mike Jontek? You know, I was nicknamed the kind of the BFG at school. Big friendly giant. Um, not, no, not because of who I am, um, but because I've got a weapon. I'm carrying a weapon. I don't know if you realize that as I, as I walked in. The Word of God. 
the Word of God. Ephesians 6 uh, talks about the spiritual armor of God. And there are all these weapons, shields, um, you know, a helmet, breastplate, belt. But the only offensive weapon uh, that Paul gives uh, when he's talking about fighting, the good fight, is actually the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Uh, Ephesians, sorry, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 uh, talks about this. The pastor says this, that for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of sword and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, Charles Spurgeon describes the Word of God uh, like a lion. He says, you don't have to defend the lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. The weapon of God, the sword, it's got so much, capable of doing so much, and so much good. And throughout history, uh, people have used the Word of God for incredible acts of good. Christians have, have started schools and hospitals, orphanages, uh, in the name of love, loving God and loving others. Churches have been established, show, showcasing people what Christ, who Christ is to the world. But sadly, uh, we don't need to look very far for this. Sadly, people have also weaponized the Word of good for atrocity, for evil. Now, we don't need to do much of a history lesson, but things like the Crusades, um, cults starting, all kinds of things, evil has been done in the name of God. But what's really at stake, why I am really the most dangerous person uh, this morning, is because everything is at stake. Eternity, the reality of heaven and hell. There is great danger to be heeded this morning, and indeed, every time the Word of God is open. And this morning's talk is called Appetite for Destruction, uh, not because um, I love the Guns N' Roses album, although I do, it was, it was kind of released around the time of my birth, but um, no, it's, it's because that's the outcome for false teachers. And as we say in this passage this morning, their appetite will lead to their destruction and destroy others as well in their path. John MacArthur says this about 2 Peter 2, Is there a more serious crime than falsifying the truth of the Word of God? Is there anything worse than lying about God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, or the meaning of Scripture? Is there a severer crime than teaching the devil's lies as if they were God's truth? Is there anything more infuriating than to God than misrepresentation of His Word? Is there a worse hypocrisy than saying you speak for God to the salvation of souls when in reality you speak for Satan to the damnation of souls? Can there be a more heinous deception than being a false teacher in the church? This passage answers, he says, a resounding no to all these questions. We're in a series uh, this morning uh, looking at 2 Peter, and we're calling it eternal knowledge because eternity is at stake. It's about knowing not just the right data, but actually knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus, the one who is in control of eternity, the one who, as we'll see in more detail next week, is returning uh, as, we, as Zach mentioned last week, uh, Johnny Gibson, uh, he, he calls this, Sam mentioned this morning, ethics by eschatology. What does he mean by that? Eschatology, the study of the last things. Uh, the way we kind of see our future, um, we expect our future to be, that, that should shape our present reality now, how we live, our, our ethos, our ethics. And if, if I convinced you that you all had 24 hours to live, there'd be a bit of a frenzy. You know, you'd probably make some quick lifestyle decisions that will look quite different. But at the same time, if I convinced you 
that there was indeed no afterlife, no heaven or hell, above us only sky, um, that that was all that mattered, and that would also drastically change how you live. In fact, that's what our culture teaches us, that this life, this is all there is. Uh, But sadly and subtly, churches uh, have always and continue to believe this lie and be shaped by the culture around us. Uh, As uh, Zach helpfully uh, introduced the series for us last week, the first letter of 1 Peter, it's dealing primarily with opposition from external, outside the church, showing how Christians can stand firm in in the uh, in the face of opposition from persecution. But whereas 2 Peter, the sequel, it, it shifts to a more pervasive, but perhaps more dangerous opposition from within. You know, the, the best movies, uh, in, the best villains in movies, in Netflix dramas, and indeed books, if we, we still read them, uh, they're not the ones that are obviously evil, right? I think they're sort of boring villains, the ones that appear to be good, and yet there's a twist. There's an act of deception, Betrayal. We're drawn to movies like this. One of the greatest movies of all time, uh, I think one of the first movies I remember seeing in the cinema, is, of course, Lion King. And spoiler alert, I mean, you've had more than almost 30 years to, to see it now, guys, but spoiler alert, it's powerful because there's a great act of family betrayal. Scar, who says to his brother Mufasa those famous words, there's a stampede in the gorge, Simba's down there. And Mufasa, like any dad, he goes to immediately to rescue him. And yet, this scenario that Scar had indeed all set up. Scar, he gets his opportunity to save his brother. Remember that, the cliff scene, before he lets him go. One of the saddest movies, I think, ever in film history. (laughs) The danger in our text this morning is that Peter's talking about the family. That's where the opposition is coming from. That's where these false teachers lie. Here's the first point, the danger of false teachers. Open up, if you've got your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter chapter 2. Check out verse 1. We see, but false prophets who also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. You know, in chapter 1, we've read about what true prophecy is, true prophecy of Scripture. Um, that, that, that's, that's what God has sent. Um, you know, Scripture, prophets, they're not people that are kind of made up things of their own interpretation of events. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. God is speaking through them. Peter describes it like a lamp in the darkness, shining in the darkness. I had, as I was finishing up this talk last night, I actually had a blackout. Uh, We could have used a lamp just then. But that's the effect, that God's Word, it's like a lamp lighting our path when it's truly inspired, when it comes from God. And since Jesus has given, um, so, so God has given us His church, He's given us teachers of God's Word. It's a beautiful thing uh, when done correctly. However, as Peter says in verse 1, false prophets also um, arose among the people. And just as there'll be false teachers among you. Throughout history, there have always been false prophets. People claiming to be speaking on God's behalf and yet doing it to their own ends. You know, way back in Genesis chapter 3, we see the first one. Of course, Satan, a fallen angel, claiming to be a messenger from God, twisting the words of God, offering a false promise of deception to Adam and Eve. You know, often the prophets uh, throughout the Old Testament and even today, they're, they're giving uh, the message of what people want to hear 
rather than what they need to hear. Uh, we see this in Jeremiah 6.14, that God warns us of prophets who preach peace when there is no peace. Imagine that. Peace, the war's finished, and yet the war is still going. But what's at stake for us now? We'll, we'll keep reading these false teachers, verse 1. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. We see they secretly, subtly, remember they're coming from within, they bring in destructive heresies. Now, what's a, what's a heresy? Uh, well, it's a te- well, Peter here describes it as a teaching. Uh, we have to make a choice, a choice literally to kind of deviate away from the path that God has lit up. Uh, you're deviating away from the truth of Jesus. And we see there that they, they, people even deviate away from the, to the point where they deny the master, that's Jesus, who bought them, who, who died for them, who ransomed them, who redeemed them. They're denying, ultimately, Jesus. Denying the gospel, denying that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for our sins, that the only way to God is through Jesus. Uh, now, you know, for us today, uh, 21st century, there's obvious ones out there. Uh, there's some cults that definitely twist things. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses deny that Jesus was God. Mormons claim to be Christian, the same as us, right? And yet they've added extra scripture claiming a dude kind of got this revelation from God in America that these stone tablets went missing. Um, that's why there's this Book of Mormon now. You know, it could be helpful on one level to, to find some common ground with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. But at the same time, they're wrong and their teaching is destructive. But there's more subtle ones. People, in the name of Christ, pastors in churches that perhaps don't look too dissimilar to us, that they push an alternative gospel. Check out verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Many will and have followed these false teachers. Uh, This word, this idea, sensuality, it comes up time and time again in this passage. It had connotations of lust, this craving, this need to kind of satisfy something carnal, wanting instant gratification. It's got pretty significant words for us today. It's a relevant word for us in 2022. Peter describes as blasphemy, which is not giving God the glory that he deserves. It's a distortion of the truth. And verse 3, that word false, that false words, it comes from the Greek plastos, which is where we get the word plastic. Uh, It's as if these teachings are able to be molded and kind of bent to kind of fit the times and fit the, the audience's itching ears. Teaching that kind of changes to fit the relevant fads and issues of today. Or diluting scripture. Um, saying, oh, well, you know, it was a different time back then, um, and we know better now, yeah? You know, if only they knew what we knew, we, we'd be able to apply this differently. It's oppressive, right, to deny people of their, their sexual freedom, but that's kind of who they are, right? The, alternative, the other alternative gospel uh, that, that we need to heed, heed um, warnings from today is what's called a prosperity gospel. If you, if you trust in Jesus, uh, then if you trust Him in enough, then you will prosper. And your problems will just go away if you have enough faith. Now, churches like this are booming all around the world, even, uh, even in Brisbane. And, and Peter, he, he warns us of this um, in, in verse 2. 
uh, that many will follow them, he says. Uh, my, my, my Sarah, she, uh, she has a, a good friend uh, that, that sadly, uh, she had a mum who had cancer when she was in high school. And tragically, she was taught uh, that while she was still in school as a teenager, she was taught that if she had enough faith, her mum would be healed. Now, sadly, in grade 12, her mum died of cancer. Now, what does that mean? She didn't have enough faith? That God doesn't love her? No, that was false teaching and, and frankly, spiritual abuse. The strength of your faith, it doesn't force God's hand. He is the one who is in control. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, he wrote half the New Testament, a pretty strong man of faith, if there ever was. He says that there's this thorn in his flesh that's attacking him. It's like Satan's tormenting him. And it could be some sort of sickness. It could be some sort of spiritual attack. We're not quite clear. But regardless of what it is, he prays three times for it to be taken away. Three times. And if anyone's prayers are going to be answered because they're a man of faith, surely it's the Apostle Paul. Maybe you're thinking, well, Paul, he's, he's just a man. Um, he could have stumbled. Maybe he really didn't have enough faith. Well, God actually did not answer that prayer with a yes. God did not take that thorn in his flesh away. Well, Paul, okay, what about this one? What about someone who, if anyone has any faith, surely it's him, Jesus. Do you know that one of Jesus' prayers uh, wasn't answered? Do you know that? You know, the night before Jesus died, he was, he was going through a serious bit of trauma. Uh, he was like sweating drops of blood. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. It's like he's deeply troubled because he knows what's coming for him. Not just a physical death, but spiritually absorbing the wrath of God. And so he prays to God the Father, Father, all things are possible with you. Yet, Take this cup away from me. This cup referring to this cup of wrath of God's judgment. He did not want to go through with it. He's praying, give me another way. Make my life a bit more comfortable. God the Father, he denies his prayer. He doesn't give Jesus what he asked for. Is that because Jesus lacked faith? No, of course not. You know, God does always answer prayers, but not in the way we want. Sometimes he gives us a no because that's part of his bigger plan. God doesn't promise health or wealth or healing in our lives. And I hear it subtly. Subtly, I hear it in things like relationships. People say, well, God just wants you to be happy. Really? Where's that in the Bible? What verse is that in the Bible? Yes, ultimately, if we have an eternal perspective, we'll be blessed and there'll be joy in eternity. But right now, we're called to a life of, of, of hardship, some of us, of suffering, of actually choosing Christ over the world, which is going to be costly. I hear things like, hey, you know, God's got the perfect one in store for you. The perfect man. Well, yeah, he does. His name's Jesus. You know, some of us, um, we, we might stay single if we keep following Jesus. I know that many of you have. You've chosen Jesus over people that don't love him. And that's a sacrifice, and that's a compromise. You've said, no, no, I'm not going to fish in that pond. No, I'm, I'm actually going to keep following Jesus, and I'm only going to pursue someone or be pursued by someone that loves Jesus more than me. I'm encouraged by you. Keep on going. You're a blessing. You're an encouragement to us in our church family. But I know for many of us that you know, this is painful and this is hard. And who am I? I'm a, I'm a married schmuck with two kids and one on the way, you know, telling you about how to live as a single person. You know, I get that. I can't empathize with your pains and your, your circumstances. But Jesus can. 
Now, Jesus, he denied himself. He denied his sensual passions, temptations of the flesh, stayed single for the sake of God. He knows what you're going through. He can empathize with your struggles. But I'm not going to stand here and promise something that Jesus never did. That if you have enough faith, everything will work out just as you have planned. Friends, that's false teaching. Today, as I've prayed before, it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And for our Christian brothers uh, in the world, in places like you know, North Korea or Sudan or Pakistan, um, their hope, like ours, is not in this world. They, uh, more likely than us, might be fired or jailed or beaten up or killed for their faith, for choosing Jesus over the world. What an insult would it be to say to them, that if they just have enough faith, they can live a healthy, wealthy, victorious and wise life. What a slap in the face to say to them. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to lose their life will save it. Who wants to save their life will lose it. In 2 Timothy, uh, Paul says, verse, chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ might be pers- no will be persecuted all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted following Jesus is costly anyone tr- that tries to convince you otherwise is a false teacher that's a false gospel a prosperity gospel that's not understanding the eternal knowledge that Peter wants us to see in God's word it's putting too much trust in the here and now in the tastes and sensualities and passions and lusts and longings of today, rather than putting our hope in eternity, where our treasure can be safely secure in heaven, where moths won't, won't get to it, when rust won't destroy, thieves won't steal. Verse 18 uh, says that um, they, these false teachers, they're enticed by sensual passions of the flesh. Verse 19, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. Really helpful documentary uh, on this. Anyone seen American Gospel? Hands up, a bunch of people. Really worth checking out. It was on Netflix a couple of years ago. Uh, you can check out the first kind of hour or so for free online. Just Google American Gospel. Um, but it's really helpful in just unpacking a lot of this false teaching that's going on around the world. Not just in America, though. America, like that, you know, that the world player they are, they export everything, including false teaching. Um, but, um, but really helpful. Um, go check that out. But it's not just prosperity gospel. You know, it could be the social justice gospel, the political gospel. It could be really anything that you want to insert there that competes with the claim that Jesus alone is Lord. Anything that wants to share the glory that only him alone deserves is a false teaching. And there's church, there's a great danger for us in this. So what are the consequences of this danger? Well, let's keep looking on. This is my second point. We've seen uh, the danger of false teachers, now the destruction of false teachers. Verse 3, we see that their destruction is not asleep. Well, what does that mean? Well, Peter's argument here, it's one looking at Old Testament history. He says that false prophets and teachers, those who oppose God, they haven't just gone under the radar. So we shouldn't expect them to go under God's radar today. He will not ignore them. In fact, they will bring upon themselves swift destruction. Their appetites will lead to their destruction. Peter gives us three Old Testament examples uh, where that's happened, which is a warning for how God views sin and deception. 
Since God has, has punished unrighteous living in the past, he will punish it in the future. Now, firstly, angels. Check out verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them into chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. What's this talking about? Well, perhaps it's talking about Satan and, and his angels who rebelled against God. And Satan kind of took you know, a whole bunch of, of angels with him uh, when he tried to compete with God for his glory. Uh, perhaps it's talking about that. Perhaps it's talking about Genesis 6, uh, which might make sense because contextually he'll then go and talk about Noah, which is uh, the rest of Genesis 6, where uh, we see this weird, confusing passage where the sons of God sleep with the daughters of men. And then you get these, these Nephilim, these kind of big dudes kind of coming out of it. What's going on there? Some people think that maybe that's talking about angels that are sleeping, having sex with, with women as an act of rebellion. Uh, regardless of what's happening, angels have sinned. Angels have rejected God's right rule. Angels, they're not perfect, and God has judged them. And how has He judged them? He's cast them into hell. Then we see in verse 5, the false prophets of, of Noah's day, the false teaching. Um, if He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. You know, many of us, uh, we know the story of Noah. It's a great kid story, isn't it? You know, animals hanging out in a boat, rainbows at the end. Look at that. Look how happy the animals are. What a beautiful, you know, G-rated kid story. No, no, actually, this is a story of, uh, of sinners in the hands of an angry God. You know, we think of God's anger. Uh, it's not like our anger. I think this is something we, we sort of we miss a bit. You know, God's angry, but not like our anger, which is um, impatient, which is flippant, which is selfish. Um, you know, without getting all the facts, we're, we're quick to judge. No, no, God's anger is settled. He's patient and he's perfectly just. God knows everything that will happen, including our evil, our sin. Nothing surprises him. And so his anger is always the appropriate response to the situation. In Genesis chapter 6, uh, verse 5 and 6, uh, this is what it says, uh, how God sees the world in Noah's day. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he'd made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. You know, God effectively, he, he starts over again. It's like a new Eden. He judges the world, destroys the world because people, humanity en masse, have chosen other things, chosen the world over God, chosen to worship the things made by the world, made by man instead of the maker. They chose to live for themselves pleasure and, and, and rather than God's plans and purposes. And so God destroys. He floods the world. Horrible, confronting story. And yet by his grace, he, he does save some. He saves Noah and his family. And one thing that Peter adds that we don't read about in, in Genesis, but it's inspired, the word of God, uh, that Noah was a herald or a preacher of righteousness. And yet perhaps um, Noah was warning people of the danger that is to come. And yet they still chose to live in sin rather than repent and trust God. Uh, then in verse 6, we see Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, verse 6, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes... He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, 
For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. See, God's, you know, God's grace again is there. You know, Lot, Lot wasn't righteous because he was a great guy. Lot, Lot had a, a pretty checkered record if we read his account. He did some horrible things. And yet uh, God, he rescued Lot from a city that was deep in their sin, in particular, sexual sin. We see here God's righteous anger. We see the city get destroyed. And Lot, you know, he doesn't look back. The city becomes a pillar of salt. And he does at that moment choose God's path over the world. But we see here God's righteous anger. So what's in store for God for false teachers today? Check out verse 12. Uh, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught, and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. They will be destroyed in their destruction. You know, he's likening the, the behavior and the character of false teachers to that of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, to the world of Noah's day. And so they too will face the same judgment. If you keep reading verse, th- verse 13, he points out that you know, they're suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. The wages of sin is death, and they're going to suffer that consequence. And look at how Peter describes uh, their character. They, um, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They have blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. While, again, while they're amongst you, while they're kind of hanging out, doing what we did last week, doing communion together. Verse 14, they have eyes on adultery, full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. Confronting words. Come down to verse 17. They are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice sensual passions of the flesh, those um, who are barely escaping from those who live in now, I'm not going to explain kind of each verse in detail, but hopefully you see the big picture there. They're this corrupt, perverse, twisted, not just in what they say, not just in their words, but in how they live. And God hates it. God hates it. Verse 19, see their own downfall they bring about. They, they themselves promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to, of corruption. Whoever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. They become slaves of their own corruption, entangled by their own sin. Their sin will lead to their own downfall. Their appetite will lead to their destruction. From within church, it's good to just keep reminding ourselves of that. It's an internal threat. Their destruction is, in a sense, an implosion, you know, a self-inflicted thing. And sadly, we see that, don't we, so often around the world in the modern church. You know, church leaders having a significant moral failure. You know, their marriage blows up. Their reputation is shattered. Their life becomes a mess. Their congregation, of course, that their followers, they're crushed. They've been manipulated, spiritually abused, if not other forms as well. And so often, uh, this just leaves broken people kind of, you know, almost forced into kind of choosing the world over Jesus and his people. 
McCrindle Research, they did a study in Australia and they found that church abuse was the biggest blocker to Aussies engaging in Christianity. This is a serious thing that we need to heed. We need to look out for. We need to have conversations about. Uh, friends, if there, there's, there's people out there that you've, you've had bad experiences, you, you're still hurting, we'd love to, to, to see how you can get help. Um, yeah, maybe you don't want to chat to me, but uh, we'd love to chat the elders, chat with pastoral care team. We'd love to help you guys um, get help, uh, put you in touch with professional services, uh, pray with you. Uh, whatever, your, whatever your past has been, you're still loved and valued. And we're so thankful that you're even here this morning uh, carrying that heavy load in your past. But God hates when leaders twist their position of power for abuse. But Peter, he soberly warns us uh, that destruction of, of false teachers, it's more than just uh, effects for them for this life. He's talking about eternity, hell. Uh, in verse 20, come with me. Uh, for if after they've escaped, the false teachers have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, they are then entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, turn back to, from the holy commandment delivered to them." God, what's going on here? God doesn't let false teachers get away with it. In fact, he says it's actually going to be worse for them than if they never knew about Jesus at all. Now, how does that work? Does that mean that, um, that they were Christians and they weren't Christians? and they're now, What's going on here? Have they lost their salvation? Does that mean that we, Christians, we, we can lose our salvation? Well, Jesus says in John 6 that um, he won't lose any whom the Father has given him. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes will have eternal life. He'll raise him up on the last day. The message of the gospel is that if you trust in Jesus, you will be saved. God, if God's chosen you, he will keep you. What about these guys? Like, What's going on here? Well, they knew the way of righteousness. It seems like they knew Jesus. Uh, it seems like they were at least calling themselves Christian. In human terms, yeah, like they look like Christian, smell like a Christian, professing Jesus with their lips. Perhaps they knew how to say the right things, uh, knew how to preach in a way that would be convincing, uh, knew how to uh, pray the right prayers. Uh, people were like, yeah, of course, they're Christian. But Peter's point here, it's not to have a, a theological debate about predestination, uh, about election, things like that. No, Peter's trying to warn the church and warn us uh, that for those, for, to, to keep trusting in Jesus and to keep living in Him. And there's a particular warning for those who are teachers. Bible teaches. You know, for me, one of the scariest, most confronting verses in the Bible is James chapter 3, verse 1, that says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's talking about you know, sort of what I'm doing now, kind of pastor-teacher um, moment, being like that, leading people in the Bible. And there's a principle, like all throughout Scripture, that God is, is toughest on people who should know better. Um, people who have been given the law and, and also people like me who are teachers of the law. At the start, I said um, that I was the most dangerous person in the room. I have a sword and I'm in danger to myself, but also to you. You know, if I or, or any Bible teacher we have here, really any gospel community leader, any city kids leader, if we, if we go astray, 
if we drift into false teaching and false living, Peter's warning is that it won't end well for us. Not just now, but for eternity. If we don't sort of get this, maybe this is kind of washed off. Um, here's a, a graphic illustration uh, that, that Peter uses. Who likes dogs here? I know we've got a few dog lovers here. Look at that. I think there's a dog. You know, how could you not love that dog? Um, well, here's a disturbing image about dogs. You know, that, that's a pretty cute dog. But in verse 22, Peter describes what the condition and the behavior of false teachers is like. He says, what the true proverb says that has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Now, like, I don't know if you've seen dogs kind of do this before. Dogs can do some pretty gross stuff uh, if you haven't seen them. Uh, like, if you maybe you haven't seen that, but I know some of you have had gastro recently, so you probably can imagine some things that are going on right now. You know, you've got a dog, right, that they, something's up with them. And they're caused to throw up because there's something going on. Their body's trying to tell them to get rid of a virus, a bug, whatever it is. And there's this you know, pile of vomit. You can imagine it. And the dog goes back to it and starts eating again after it, just trying to you know, get rid of this. That's the picture that Peter's trying to paint for us. And the pig image is just as bad. You know, the pig, it's taken a bath, it's clean, and it just goes back to the, to the mire, the mud, the muck, where there's just all kinds of stuff going on, rolls literally in our own filth again. Now, I'm not going to apologize for any reactions you might feel right now, because that's Peter's point. It's meant to evoke kind of this grossness, this ickiness, this kind of churning of the guts. It's disgusting. This destruction, it's, it's gross. That's how God sees it. So we've seen the danger of false teaching. We've seen the destruction of false teachers. And thirdly and finally, how do we deal with it? Dealing with false teachers. Well, for us today in 2022, we've got access to more false teachers than ever before in human history. Do you realize that? You know, back in the day, if someone sort of came along with some dodgy teaching uh, and a lifestyle that reflected that, you could just say, hey, you know, until you repent, you're actually not welcome here. Uh, you could, you know, you could even like kick them out of the village, chase them out. But now um, false teachers are platforms like never before. YouTube really is a cesspit for false teaching. Now, once you kind of start the, the algorithm, it just kind of sucks you in. And, and the, the YouTube's, you know, Google's job is to try to, you know, keep you on there as long as possible. Similar with you know, Instagram, TikTok, um, it, it's, you know, it hits harder for us with shorter attention spans, really. But there's this force that sucks us in. And it's not as though, you know, many of us are necessarily going through reels of, of false teaching all the time, but it's, it's wallowing around in this mire of worldliness, you know, suddenly, it plays at our insecurities and it creates this kind of playing ground that makes us more isolated, more superficial and softening us up so that when we actually do hear false teaching, we're desensitized to it. Then there's podcasts. Now, nothing wrong with podcasts. Um, I listen to podcasts all the time. But again, another platform for false teachers. You know, it's a way that we can consume teaching, which can, of course, be edifying and helpful, but it's also a thing we typically do in isolation, not in community where we can ask each other questions, where we can bring the Bible, where we can even maybe confront or challenge when we need to. Podcasting also allows us to give in to what Paul warns us in 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, which says this, he warns us of when a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers 
to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That's essentially you know, what the subscribe function is. You can have your own accumulation of teachers that will just make you feel good. And there's a, there's a danger that's perhaps more subtle uh, for us in the way we've even viewed church. You know, we, we shop around for church. We, we go to a place uh, that will kind of be, work well for us. Now, now, it's good to be discerning. Uh, but hey, if you found a place where, where the Word of God is taught, I encourage you to stick with it. Now, don't be flaky because you found a more interesting preacher up the road, a more engaging preacher. You know, this is a very live issue for us right now. We're, we're in the middle of a recruitment for a new lead pastor. And if um, someone comes along and they're faithful to the Word of God, but maybe they're just a little bit boring, maybe their sermons just go for a little bit longer than we'd prefer, not quite what I'm after, Church, are you going to walk away because of that? Church, Jesus bought you. He's redeemed you. You've got brothers and sisters here in this room. Church, we need to be praying for our new lead pastor, uh, praying that they would heed the warning that Peter gives us. And in particular, these words as well um, that Paul writes in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 16. He says this to his young apprentice, Timothy, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In NIV, it says that, um, that you should watch your life and your doctrine closely. Church, that's what we need to be praying for. Uh, for not just our lead pastor, but also all staff, all gospel community leaders, city kids, youth teachers, our elders, and even ourselves. Watch our lives and our teaching. So we need to be holding our leaders accountable. Uh, we've, got, we've got elders, we've got Michael, we've got Grant. Uh, we're, instigating, we're instituting a, uh, a, a church, local church council. We've had people apply this week for that, which is, which is great, which is exciting, encouraging. Um, if you want more information about that, just search City on a Hill Governance. City on a Hill Governance, you can find out more information. You can even apply for that. You know, we have a, a safe ministry policy that's designed to keep our leaders accountable. Uh, there's training documents, even places you can report things. Uh, you, again, you can find out more information about that. Come chat to us or Google City on a Hill Safe Ministry. But, you know, these systems, these strategies, they're, they're important, but they're only as good as the culture underneath them. Uh, let's continue to hold each other accountable. Be prepared to ask each other, myself, other leaders, the hard questions. But let's do it also with humility and grace. But here's the best accountability tool we have. What is it? Well, it's the Word, the Word of God. Can I urge you to be people of the book? Keep going back to the Word. What does God's Word have to say about this? But we don't study it in isolation. You know, God gives us each other to do that, to, to sharpen each other. And, and God gives us another tool as well. Um, one of the great companions of the Word is church history. Christian brothers and sisters that have studied the Word uh, for generations and generations before that. How do you kind of smell a, a false teaching? Well, there's a good chance if it's something new, it's probably wrong. Uh, is this teaching you hear, is it something that's been connected to the historic mainstream Christian faith or is it something completely new? If it's new, it's a good chance it's heresy. 
That's why Zach talked about this a little last week. Creeds, uh, confessions, catechisms, they're really helpful. Um, a great place to start, if you're new to this, the New City Catechism. Uh, it says new, but it's really a summary of, of historic uh, creeds and confessions, uh, in particular the Westminster uh, Catechism. Really helpful. In fact, there's even a kid's uh, kind of song version you can listen to on Spotify. I listened to it with my girls uh, yesterday, kind of trying to introduce them to it. Um, but hey, I thought we would uh, go to the classic one, uh, the one that really has been surviving the longest. Um, it's the earliest one that, that's been sustained, which is recited, which is sung, which is prayed through in churches all around the world. Um, and this morning, uh, there'll be many millions of others uh, saying this creed together. And this is called the Apostles' Creed. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was chatting uh, with one of you this week and, um, you know, uh, you were reflecting on, on your time when you started coming along to City on a Hill and, and you thought it was a bit cultish because we kind of occasionally would say things out together. That's kind of wasn't part of their church background. However, now that they say I'm a member of the cult. <laughs> um, but actually, church, if we are saying these things together, it, I think actually it's a way of safeguarding us from becoming a cult uh, because we're not deviating. We're not kind of having these heresies that are drifting away uh, from how the people of God uh, have, have wrestled with these things over the years. And so this creed, it connects us with our Christian brothers and sisters all around the world for centuries past back to Jesus. Uh, so can I invite you? Can I invite everyone to stand? Uh, we're going to say the Apostles' Creed uh, to wrap things up together. And if you're someone here who, who's not a Christian or maybe who's just figuring these things out, you know, don't feel like you have to say these things. You can use this time to reflect, uh, to read over the words together. But if you love Jesus, uh, if you, you know the Apostles' Creed, can I encourage you to say it boldly with a, a loud voice uh, together? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let me pray to wrap up. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good, that it is true, that it is piercing to our soul. Lord, I pray that we would use this gift, this weapon, uh, for your good, for your glory, for loving you and loving others. Uh, Lord, I do pray uh, that you would protect our church. Help us to be a church that wrestles with your word, that puts your word above all of us. Uh, it's a place where uh, we are able to be humble and humbly approach you. And Lord, uh, we are sorry for the times where we have stuffed up. We're sorry. I'm sorry for the times where perhaps I've even uh, abused with this weapon, Lord. I pray that we, uh, we can be a people of grace, uh, a people that remembers just how much you have forgiven us, that we would take the word seriously and take out the implications to live lives so that we might be a city on a hill, a light to the world, uh, knowing Jesus and making Jesus known to Brisbane and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said... Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.